podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Well, good morning. I'm Campy and welcome to my corner. This episode, I am joined by my man and your man, all the way from London, the UK, uh, Mr. James Baldwin. How are you, mate? Yes, not to be uh, confused with London, Canada. Um, I refuse to be associated with that part of the world. It uh, it is only London, the United Kingdom, mate. I'm doing very, very well. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, actually. I uh, went to the rugby last night, so we enjoyed a very, very uh, contentious game of rugby. All Blacks Australia yes. last night in Melbourne, which uh, excellent yes, sporting. Yes, so I spe- saw. Excellent, excellent sporting spectacular it was. Uh, it was a bit contentious at the end, but um, I know Manus was there as well, and he was probably the loosest Irishman there, so that was good too. Um, anyway, good shout out to them. We are sports lovers here, somewhat. Not so much you, Jim, but it is the rest of us are somewhat sport lovers. And being from Melbourne, am- how can you not? <laughs> I am absolutely a sport lover. I will have you know. I watch plenty of motorsport in my time. Um, I watch plenty of tennis. I have spent a lot of time glued to various television screens watching various football matches here in the UK, not understanding who's playing, mind you, or what they're playing for, uh, but certainly having a good time nonetheless and mucking in with the uh, pub audience trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Uh, it's been a good time here, mate. But uh, one of the things that I thought we should do in, in the corner, spend a little bit of time focusing on the community a little bit. And uh, if you would allow me to, um, I'd love to shout out to, to our patrons at the moment who have who have decided to part with a hard-earned cash to support this bin. Um, so a massive shout out to Mark, John, Ross, Melinda, Clint, Josh, Kate, Mason, Claire, and Steen. All of you are superstars. Uh, if you too want to be a superstar, you can become a patron, join our Patreon. There's three different levels. You'll find yourself a supporter of the show, out of the bin, or a consummate professional. Uh, you can find the link in the description below to see how you can support the show with that. But, uh, yeah, a massive thank you to you for, for doing that. That alongside our sponsorship of the show helps a lot. Um, Absolutely. But one thing I would say, Campy, is uh, YouTube. Now, if you are part of our YouTube channel, you will have seen that I have been putting some shorts out uh, over the last couple of weeks uh, as well, including which will have they inevitably have some uh, some shorts from this episode too of my friend and yours, uh, Thomas J. Camp, <laughs> saying ridiculous things that we absolutely love that I think the rest of the internet deserves to see. Um, but it makes a big difference when we're under a thousand subscriptions whatever reason the YouTube algorithm doesn't like serving our content to people. So uh, we're only 261 people away from changing that to 1,000. If you want to support the show too and you don't want to give over your money, which is absolutely fair enough, uh, you can uh, go to our YouTube channel and click that button too. Now, Campy, we have had a new review, uh, which it's been a while actually since we've had a new review. And this one comes from Cursive in Canada and it's five stars and it's Merely a Canadian flag, two Australian flags, and a Canadian flag. <laughs> a like new favourite Canadian. Um, a new favourite Canadian, exactly. LBS, lift. Mason, lift. How dare you? I know you've both uh, left five-star quality, reviews in the past as quality well. Quality, lads. <laughs> um, now, look, Campy, I thought I should uh, – I'm not sure what kind of stories you've seen around the Formula One world, but I've, I've uh, picked out a list of uh, <laughs> stories of myself. For for you to consider, um, and in yeah. fact, for, for what I'm going to call Campy's careful considerations, this part of the podcast when there's not a race weekend, <laughs> there's no qualifying to talk about, we will have your carefully considered point of view, Campy, on what Love is that. going on in the week. All right, I like it. Oh, can I bring one up? Here's a careful consideration of Please. a few days. Jacques Villeneuve. Have you heard that guy's comments <laughs> about Daniel Ricciardo this week? What a squid. I, I can say what a squid. What an irrelevant human being he is. Look, unfortunately with our sport, we have a world championship mm. every year. And in that <laughs> inside that world championship, we have 23 races. 
Now, 99 times out of 100, the fastest car and the fastest driver on the grid wins if it goes checkered to flag. So sometimes in those 23 races, you know, you get some results like Gasly winning at Monza or Albon winning wherever Albon won. And there's there's a bit of jeopardy thrown in there to use the Tommy T word, right? But every now and then, because we have a world championship every year and one gets thrown up, we have a year like 97 when Jacques Villeneuve won a bloody championship. It was the exception to the rule, and it should never have happened. He was a dud, and he found himself in that seat, and he had one good year in Formula 1 is the year that he won a Formula 1 World Championship. So it's a bit like he's the pastor Maldonado of Formula 1 World Championships. The guy is an absolute dipshit. Now he wanders around the globe and thinks he's credible on all things F1 because he's the pastor Maldonado of uh, F1 World Champions. So look, I'm disgusted at that guy's comment. He is the biggest dickhead of the week. He has firmly cemented himself in the bin. He's never coming out. He's down the bottom, he's lower than Ferrari and the strategy crew and uh, and Mr. Zach Brown himself at the moment and, of course, Pierre Gasly. He is, he is the OG dud <laughs> from now on. Jacques Villeneuve, you are my enemy. I hope you come to Melbourne so that we can rag on you from the sideline. <laughs> it's Campy's beard. It is one of those things, Campy, where – and look, for our listeners, if, if you don't know what we're talking about, he made some comments about Daniel Ricciardo having four awful years and why would any F1 team look at him Ugh. to uh, to fill their 2023 seat? Uh, look, it just – unnecessary. Um, and as many of you on the Discord have commented, uh, he, is the, he is the walking clickbait of Formula One, as in he – doesn't have the ability to have any relevance by himself. He has to say outlandish and outrageous things to get a storyline. I because because I, to be honest, Campy, I can't remember the last time I heard any kind of headline from Jacques Villeneuve until now. But it must have been something about Lewis and Max, probably in twenty twenty one. You guys are wanker. Any times that guy crashed cars and big stacks too. That's more careful consideration. Jeez, I was mate. I just lost it when I heard that. I literally picked up my phone and threw it across the room. And very disappointing to hear those words coming out of his mouth. Anyway, let's let's move swiftly on, shall we? Um, one of the things that I want to talk about, um, which I find exceptionally interesting, is Honda. Now, Campy, you and I have been speaking about Honda since 2019, right? This is a very interesting stat. Honda has won more than half of the races in the F1 Championship since announcing its retirement, which is probably no surprise to you considering their departure from the sport in the end of 2008, which led to a 2009 World Championship with Braun GP and Jensen Button. Look, in again, out again, in again, out again. For a business that is that big, I mean, it's got a car department, it's got a motorbike department, it's got a generator department. It's got a parts department bigger than what Bosch probably is on a world scale. I mean, Honda does everything. And to Honda's credit, they have a reputation for what they build is long-lasting and, and very good. But I'll tell you what, yeah, they, are, they have to be the most fiscally tight <laughs> and conservative <laughs> businessman on the planet go all in and then pull out like they do. It doesn't make any sense why they made that decision in in uh, whenever they did the pull out of the Red Bull deal. You know, there were talks of, you know, global recessions and financial hardships coming. There were yep. talks of that. But it, it, it never really came. Like, it never came to that. And if you look at the other manufacturers that are trying to get into the sport, um, yeah. And the deals that have been set up behind closed doors. Honda are firmly placed to be the best car manufacturer, engine wise, in mm. Formula One for the next seven or eight years. And I just don't understand why they continue to go so far and then leave. You know, it, it's I don't I, I don't I don't understand it. Culturally, it's a bit different over there. But hey, you're dealing with some the Japanese, and they're generally they make good stuff, but. Oh, come on. 
I mean, I hear the same stories about this with their motocross programs throughout the world. Right. You know, they're the most funded, they're the best equipped team one year and then next year it's all gone and it's all sponsorship money and they're relying on two people, two private individuals that came in and, and took over the team and there you go. And, and it's it's in and out, it's in and out. They're getting some global success on the motocross at the moment. They've got two Aussie boys over there racing 250s. Um, they just about won the 450 championship. That's in America, and they're doing really well in the States as well. So, yeah, look, I, I don't quite get it. This, for me, being an, being just going off topic, being a hybrid or an electric engine, I mean, the technology that they get from M1 to put back into their road cars, you would think f1 pays for itself every year with the development yeah. that's coming and how you put those things in car and not just that industry is changing right across the world whether it be motorbikes are going electric there's a couple of electric bikes out at the moment that will change the way that motocross is done throughout the world um bikes and stuff like that it's all electric it's all going to be motorized blah, blah blah i don't understand why unless they've got their they say they've got their value for their money and moved on but Anyway, what do you do? It's like, how much more carefully considered can I be, Jim, other than you idiots? What are you doing? <laughs> They've got a history of it. Look at 2009 when they pulled out. I get there was a global recession, but some guys came in and made that car work, which says they've got the goods when it comes to design and performance and getting the best out of the car. Yeah, they had some crap years with McLaren, but how good's Red Bulls an organisation? They went in, they looked at the facts, and they said, yeah, this is this is very worth having a crack, albeit because they probably had to make the relationship work. But I mean, McLaren could be in that spot at the moment. <sighs> anyway, moving on. Anyway, let's talk about um, an an unlikely candidate that has has raised his head again for this uh, for for twenty twenty three. Nico Hockenberg is is a driver that will never disappear. It seems he can't be. I know we you know, talking about the driver market, but we can't not when there's so much now still going on. He's a leading candidate for Haas in 2023. The guy obviously had some outstanding performances in his first year off as a racing points reserve driver, pardon me, um, filling in for Sergio Perez at Silverstone uh, twice. The first time the car didn't work. The second time he had a pretty decent outing um, to be able to, to show his stuff. But, are we now at a stage where the fact that he is a leading candidate, we'll talk a little bit more about who who else is um, going to be doing an Alpine test in, in a couple of days or weeks' time, but is the, are we getting too much now the other direction? You know that I don't like this whole young driver generation thing, but yeah. he yeah. himself has said that he's pretty done with F1, and that was even last year. So it doesn't make sense to me that, suddenly there's this resurgence of interest. If you look at Haas, they're in a unique position where they obviously are the most underfunded team on the grid. They come out in those first seven or eight races and they are fairly competitive just because no one's bought upgrades. So, And they are a team that's going to buy as much and get as much information off everybody else as they possibly can. When it comes to Hulkenberg, they clearly need a driver with a bit of experience that can bring a level of intelligence and intellectual property just about the sport, how to develop cars, how to bring in some new and unexperienced team members, whether that be in the engineering department, strategies. Uh, Nico can help those things. And I actually don't mind it from Haas looking that far outside the box. I said it a couple of weeks ago. The fact they think they can get Daniel Ricciardo just shows, look, that to me is just a kick in the teeth to Daniel Ricciardo, the fact that they think they can get him. So K-Mag hasn't really worked out the way I think Gunther wanted it to. It started really well, but it hasn't progressed throughout the season. I don't know if that's indicative of the car and where the organisation's at. But mm. I think they're setting themselves up if they took a if they took someone like Hulk, they're setting themselves up for success in the future because 
they're not relying on a young driver to come in and do it because that's been the norm, have an experienced driver and have a young driver. I think that organisation needs a hell of a lot of experience in the drivers to bring the cars up to what they where they need to be. In saying mm-hmm. that, I, I, I don't think it's yesteryear, like 90s, where drivers did a lot of it. I think, I think the car is probably, and the design of it is probably... 85% car these days. What we are seeing is we've got to get a lot of these guys, young guys too, coming out of F2 and F3, getting F1 tests. And we're actually saying that it's not that hard to get onto the pace, but it's that last second and a half, two seconds that you, the top guys extract out of a car consistently overlap that where it has them over the bottom guys. So I'm, I know I'm, I know I'm, um, Playing devil's advocate with myself in that own conversation there, but just <laughs> oh, who knows? Who knows what they're thinking? We don't know what's going on behind closed doors. We don't know the conversations yep. that they're having. Um, they've got to get results, and they, the way they've gone about it thus far hasn't worked. One of the things that I will raise with you as well that is very interesting that I've heard whilst over here is that uh, Alfa Romeo's contract with Sauber is up uh, very shortly. And from what I understand, there is some interest in Alfa Romeo with Haas because they've had a pretty okay time in Formula 1, it has to be said, Kimi Raikkonen, Giovinazzi, and now uh, Joe and, of course, Valtteri Bottas. Um, and Haas wanting a new sponsor might be a really good marriage there. There is also talk of a, a brand-new big sponsor from America coming into Haas for 2023 too. So there potentially could be a completely different change in direction there for the team that has, as you said, has been struggling for sponsorship for some time and trying to figure out exactly what they're trying to do with upgrades and not bringing upgrades when everyone else is bringing upgrades. And as you said, with Kevin Magnussen having an amazing debut, um, but of course not maybe necessarily being able to keep up with everyone now, maybe that's not his fault necessarily is the car isn't performing the way that it should. But it's interesting because... And I'll lead into this next point. Antonio Giovinazzi, who did a free practice session for Haas only a couple of days ago, is joining Jack Doohan, Nick DeVry, and Colton Herter in this Alpine test in Hungaroring, which we're not exactly that. sure when that is, but it has to be in the next I thought it was Barcelona. Uh, yeah, well, it's going to – well, it's somewhere. Yeah. It's somewhere in the European circuit. Uh, I read um, Hungaroring just before, but it could be Barcelona. Um, but it's going to be interesting because – uh, well, Nick DeVry is, and, and Freya and I uh, on the Friday podcast spoke about the fact that his options now are definitely Williams. Williams have said, we want you. You've done an amazing job. Um, yep. But Alpine is also potentially on the table as well, sort of talking about what potential options he has. Um, it, it will be very interesting though, Campy, to focus here on Jack Doohan. Very interesting to see how he as someone who isn't an F2 champion, but certainly won um, enough, I think, for us to say he has certainly progressed a lot in Formula 2 uh, yep. to rival himself against Giovinazzi, Nick DeVry, and Colton Herter. Wouldn't it be interesting to see if he comes out on top as the fastest driver out of the four? Would be, yeah. Look, Jack's uh, – look, I'm not ragging on Jack doing at all. Um as Aussies, the more Aussies, imagine having three of them on the grid. How good would that be for us? We wouldn't be able to keep up with the hype. Um, Jack's first year in F3 was atrocious. I don't think, I think his best performance was 18th, albeit in a shit car, but had the Red Bull sponsorship and the Red Bull sponsorship down the back end of that grid, they cut him off really quickly. Turned it around. And uh, came second in the F3 championship the following year. That was the year Piastri won F2. So um, showed a lot too. And from day one, jumped in that car in a pre-season test the year before and just said, oh, this is a different machine. This is – I can extract pace out of that. And from day one, he was quick in it, always in that top five. Moved up to F2, had the same sort of results. Uh, I think he did. I think he did. Once he'd secured second in F3, he did a couple of races in F2 in 2021. Um, and he was really good. Like, he was up on the speed. Like, he was running up, running up the front. This year, I haven't watched enough of him 
to probably make a value judgment on him. He's got a couple of wins here and there, but <sighs> doing reverse grids and top 10 reverses and qualifying, having three races over the weekend, sometimes you don't actually get get the full picture and it's my own fault. But what I would say about that championship is it is not – there's not superstar drivers in there at the moment. And that's why teams like your house are looking at Hockenbergs because there's not this young – talent pool of drivers like we've had in yesteryear where they're all going, geez, how good's this guy, how good's this, we have to jump on him. It's like you look at Leclerc, uh, Sainz, um, uh, George Russell, Lando Norris, uh, those guys all raced in the same categories together growing up and the fact that, you know, you can't win, four guys can't win two championships over a couple of years, I think generally the teams just know how good they are, you know, from the from the data that they get. And I would suggest that the young guys we've got in the cars at the moment aren't aren't at that level and that's why we're not seeing them jump on on teams so much. Sorry, they're not getting their seats in F1s and teams aren't willing to take the punt unlike they were in yesteryear. So to be fair to Jack, get out there and win it. You know, come out by four tenths and be the fastest man and show consistency and drive the tyres off. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure yet that he's got it. But hey, I'm I'm, I'm rooting for him one thousand percent. Got to get in there and get it done. One of the things that's interesting to note is the Alpine test that happened earlier this year, which Jack and Oscar both took part in. Jack was faster out of the two of them. So, you know, there could be a range of factors to that, but. Yeah, just it's just a fact. It's just a fact. So it's interesting to think about. Yeah. One of the things that I want to roll into here is uh, Felipe Drogovic, who, of course, is the Formula 2 champion. Um, this is an interesting point because I think you're right in that there's no mega talent coming in F3 and F2 at the moment that we're seeing to the point where he has said uh, only in recent days, that if he can't secure a seat in Formula 1, that he should be allowed to stay in Formula 2 like Moto2 and Moto3, the head of Formula 2. Bruno Michel disagrees, though. It's up or out as far as Bruno's concerned and always has been. And I think it's one of the things of if Formula 2, uh, and I kind of agree with him at the point where Bruno says, it's unfair on the rest of the drivers, the rest of the grid, if the very strong drivers who are with a very strong team like Art or uh, Prema, as we saw Oscar Piastri, and, you know, they yep. might not be picked up but might just have consistent dominant years. Um, it would be interesting. What do you think? I, mean, I, I know that you, you said in the last episode there shouldn't be a guaranteed path from F2 to F1, but do you think it should look to its two-wheeled cousin in Moto2 and, and take some inspiration from that? No, no, not at all. <laughs> Good. Not at all. The costs involved in running one of these – F2 and F3 teams are astronomical large. Mark Webber's day, it was 800,000 pounds for an F2 seat. I can only imagine what it's worth now. Mm. And probably around that two and a half, three million pounds a year, you know, on a full, on a paid drive. There's not too many, you know, that's why they run two or three cars in so that, you know, Premier's got four cars. You know, there's a reason why those teams run three paid cars and then, you know, leave one seat open for someone that, you know, doesn't have the cash because they want the talent. The problem with letting Drogovic drive will be that it just becomes a second-tier paid sport. So there's – and there's a hell of a lot of wealth out there, particularly in Europe, old money. I mean, three and a half million people – three and a half million dollars to people went – when you look at Australia and our small economy over here on a global scale, the people that have access to $5 million, they reckon is about somewhere between 7 and 8% of our population. Now, you put those same numbers into a place like China and Europe, we're talking about a billion people worldwide that have, you know, that access to that sort of cash just as a middle class. They're not super wealthy, but, hey, they're wealthy enough. And, and uh, anyway. The sport will become a paid driver or championship, and that's not what we want to see. The sport is a feeder competition for the for 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 Formula One. So that's just where we're at, and that's the reality of the situation. Unfortunately for Drakovic, he's had five or six really good years in F two, where he can, you know, he finally got his championship. You know, he, he needed to make that 
need to make that crossover and get a professional drive somewhere else a lot earlier than what he has now because he's just because he won it, as I said, we give out a championship every year. It's not indicative of how good you are sometimes. It's right place, right time. It's interesting, isn't it, looking at Nick DeVries as well, who's gone away to Formula E and by all accounts will be in a Formula 1 drive for 2023. Of course, it's deserved. He's, you know, he's turned up in, in an interesting grid full of massive penalties and back of the grid penalties and managed to keep that Williams in a good spot. Um, Drogovic, of course, announced shortly after we recorded the podcast saying that he's not in, not getting anywhere near Formula 1 is now an Aston Martin um, development driver, whatever that means. Uh, it doesn't mean he's necessarily um, going to get any time in, a, in an Aston Martin next year. Maybe he's a reserve driver. He he will, depending if anyone gets sick. But he'll be having to look elsewhere like Nick did, you know, in, in 2020 and 21 to do other things. So I think from the DeVries point of view, Campy, it's interesting to see what we will see probably Formula E or Formula 2, Formula E with other stuff as well and then into Formula 1. So it's interesting paths that can happen. You know, you just never know. When you get your shot, as you said on Monday or on Tuesday, if you get your shot, you've got to take it. Yeah, absolutely right. We'll get back to Campy's corner and his careful considerations in just a moment. But I'd like to take this opportunity to tell you about this episode's sponsor, NordVPN. Of course, it's NordVPN still, and there's good reason for that because NordVPN is something that we on the show use. In fact, I'm sitting in a hotel in London right now, and if I look on my laptop, I can see NordVPN logo in my top bar, which means I'm fully protected even though I'm using this Wi-Fi at a random hotel. And you can be protected too. NordVPN has a wonderful, wonderful promotion going for listeners of Lakeside Drive at the moment. You can go to nordvpn.com forward slash Lakeside Drive and receive a two-year deal at a very heavily discounted rate for those two years, plus four months free. So two years heavily discounted, plus four months free. It's incredible incredible offer uh, for Lakeside Drive listeners. Go to nordvpn.com forward slash Lakeside Drive and you can get massive protection exactly like I've got on my phone. I have it on my device with this on my laptop and other devices that I use as I travel around the world to ensure that I'm fully protected, that I don't have any viruses entering the system. I'm not tracked across any of the IP networks that I use. It is incredibly, incredibly good. And of course, it all comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't like it, you can pretend it never happened. They'll issue a full refund, but we know reasons why that isn't the case. I've been using NordVPN for two years now and I will continue to do that from here well before they were a sponsor. I can tell you that. So go to nordvpn.com Lakeside Drive for two years plus four free months and you can help support the show. Now let's get back to Campy's Corner. Let's talk a little bit about Porsche, shall we? Because Porsche, this whole Porsche Red Bull thing kind of was really hyped up in Austria this year at the Grand Prix and it was a done deal and they were buying 50% of the business and everything seemed to be going ahead. And then fast forward to the Belgian Grand Prix campy, we had Audi announced as an engine supplier, which is not what we thought was going to happen. We thought that Porsche would be an engine supplier with Red Bull and Audi would buy Sauber. Now, that is still likely to happen by all accounts uh, and Sauber and Audi are still trying to work that out. But this Porsche thing, now, in part of the 2026 regulations, part of it is Formula One wants more teams, more manufacturers to enter. We've spoken a little bit in in the past about Andretti and and his want to enter the sport to the point where Andretti is building a whole new facility in the US for its existing teams, but wanting to do Formula One, like really trying to build an MTC equivalent, if you will, um, over there in the US. Do you think that this 11th entry, which Formula One wants to be a big manufacturer, is a good opportunity for Porsche to get into the same organization as Andretti on the ground floor and build a brand new Formula One team from 2024 onwards? Yes. (laughs) I think they will be. Yeah. No, no, I think, think, look. Mergers and acquisitions of these big companies, Red Bull have a hell of a lot of fighting power because of the results they're getting at the moment, where the car's at, et cetera, et cetera. Porsche coming in, they've got a whole lot of other technology that they've got on the shelf from their WEC days. 
Um, I just think it's two organisations that are headbutting a bit. And Red Bull, historically, they talk a bit of shite in the media and you don't always get the full picture and then, bang, something else happens. It's like, wow, where did that, where did that come from? You know, take the Perez, get in the drive. Hold, yeah. Uh, Helmet Marco. No, we're not looking at Perez. We don't think he's the calibre of driver to, you know, to drive in our team. Bang, two weeks later he's in the team. So, look, um, I just think there's probably a few tension in there and they've got a hell of a lot of time to figure it out as well. Um, mm. But then again, then again, Red Bull sitting on a, an awfully competitive motor that they've co-designed with Honda and subsequently found themselves with the ownership of. There's a hell of a lot of technologies in there that they might be playing a bit of hardball with, I would suggest. Uh, Dietrich's not an idiot, um, but Dietrich will be managing the con the, the the negotiations at the top end. But when it when it comes to team stuff and motor stuff, he'll be he's that's not his expertise. He'll be handing that yeah. over to Horner and he'll be saying, right, where's this at? And I think Horner's got a very good understanding of they're not great at communicating that with us at times, but I think Horn has got and Wolf guys like this have a very good understanding of the business of Formula One and how it actually operates behind the veil of putting a race on on a weekend as an events company, uh, whether it's to do with sponsorships. Uh, you know, it's it's all about collaborations within between multi businesses and then solidifying those relationships over a long term in order to get a product on the on the on the on the grid that everybody's happy with and. Uh, I think, uh, I think Horner and Wolf are the best at it. So they'll be they'll, they'll be going into these negotiations slash conversations with uh, the best intentions to their team, and, and they'll get the outcomes they want ultimately because they they hold the position of power. So the other interesting thing, Campy, is Porsche and Williams. Now Porsche have obviously interested in wanting to buy a team. There is conversations that our conversation with Yost Capito has. Happened, but I think your point is is right in terms of where they see their worth in the sport. Twenty twenty six regulations yep. is important to note as well, of course. But the thing I think that I find most interesting out of all of this is that even though Porsche and Audi are part of the VW group, they might as well not be because they seem to be so competitive still as independent independent manufacturers, which I think is brilliant, yep. isn't it? That yep. You know, even under the same banner, they're so competitive that they both want entry into Formula One under different management. I'll just say, side note, my mate bought a uh, RS6 uh, station wagon. Uh, oh, nice. 250K. Good decision. Anyway, he took me on it, went for a drive in it, and oh my word, the, to hear the gear, oh, to yeah. hear the oh, I'm not fussed about the speed. I've been fast in cars before. But the gear changes in this thing was unbelievable. It was – you could not feel any – you could hear it go ding, 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 ding when it's changing. You know, it's got a double-clutch system in it too, but, you like, you didn't have to back off. It was just unbelievable. That automatic engine is unbelievable. There's no stop. You know, sometimes when it changes, you get the – you stop movements. You stop momentum moving forward. This was just seamless and oh, it was unbelievable. Anyway, um, I think it's good. The for- only other time you've been as fast in a car as your karting, uh, that karting uh, career oh, of yours oh, yeah. that you had, which was phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the worst. Because <laughs> it was your birthday that night, right? So everyone was supposed to go back to your mm-hmm. place for a birthday party. I rang you and I was like, dude, I'm actually crying. I'm in that much pain at the moment. I was, <laughs> I was stiff for about three weeks. I could not believe it. Oh, anyway. Um, I remember. Getting, getting I remember back, the phone call. Getting back to Porsche. It's absolute scenes. Getting back to Porsche. I actually don't mind it, Porsche buying Williams. I'd, I'd much prefer it because you've got Red Bull. I mean, we got our four constructors at the moment. We've got Red Bull, uh, Mercedes. Who else have we got? We got uh, shit. Ferrari. Ferrari. Yeah, we got Alpine. Al- Alpine. Alpine or yep. Renault, Which, whatever. It's, it's no, a great Formula One podcast sorry. so far. Yep. But then we have two more, right? <laughs> we have two more come in. We got Audi buying Alfa Romeo, Porsche buying. So six of the ten teams now are actual, genuinely 
you know, they're factory teams. And then you've got a team like McLaren that's fully established as an independent organisation as of the rest of them. We've got Aston Martin too, which is a works team now, albeit with Mercedes issues, but they are, they are trying to move into that realm of it. It actually makes sense for me because the way that this sport's tracking the money you've got to invest doesn't make sense to run an independent team anymore like or someone come in and pay for everything. Oh. I think I actually think you need the backing of a massive organisation bureaucracy like car companies are in order to put the cars on track to get the best out of them. The problem is, with that mm-hmm. being said, is that if Aston Martin's coming tenth, they're going to drop out of the sport real quick because that's not a good look for them too. So it's it's catch twenty two. But I think it's actually better for the sport the more manufacturers and the more you know the brand name cars that we have back in yeah. the team. I think also. As well for for Williams specifically now, noting that they're not a family owned team anymore. I mean, Dalton Capital bought them as an investment. So, what better way to, you know, get a return on your investment than to sell it to a manufacturer who really wants to get into the sport? Yep. You could sell it for a profit. You know, it's, it's upward trajectory, a, a whole range of things. But I really think this Porsche, you know, they've they've trademarked the term finally, but F one N A double L Y. Um, as a term, which seems to be a little way off to be able to use that one now compared to where we were a couple of months ago. But as you say, it's a good thing for the sport. This this focus now on sustainable fuels, uh, I was having this conversation today with internal combustion being a focus for Formula One going forward. I think it sort of takes the shine off a little bit on other, se- other series like Formula E uh, and others that were potentially sort of almost banking on uh, – the inevitable progression to electric motorsports. So to see brands like Porsche and Audi and others who want to be involved in Formula One doing that thing, I think for for fans of the internal combustion noise, is is a is a good thing. And that was my other question for you: is if we are looking at a twenty year worldview of the sport, what does it look like? Are we an entertainment sport that is based on? New technology at the top, of the top of the technological pile that filters down to the rest, or are we an entertainment sport that caters to what the fans want? You know, where does what does this actually look like? This sport moving forward, we're we're going to struggle to find relevance. I can't. I mean, Drive to Survive has been the best thing ever for Formula One, particularly in the states, because they need to crack that market. So it is a genuinely global sport. But I know. There is a cycle of viewership for Formula One, and it is somewhat around the four to five year mark where people are really into it, and then they fall away. And it always, generally, takes you know everyone's right into it when we see Lewis Hamilton get knocked off his perch by Max Verstappen. Then we get a couple of years of Max Verstappen. People tune out because it's not what they want to see. Um, you know, I, I'm worried for the relevance of our sport where it moves because. For me, these new engine rigs, and we don't know a hell of about them, but bigger energy, bigger generators, and biofuels. I mean, it's not the organisation's gone somewhat woke, and it's not what people want. They want loud. They want loud cars. We've proved that we can do this battery powered thing. We've got Formula E that's fully electric. We've proved that we can do hybrids and run them at insane amounts of fuel levels. To you know, that's, that's somewhat more efficient than, or very good efficiency, excuse my use of the English language there. We've proved a hell of a lot of things in the last 10 years. Why would you extend this period and do something else? I think they should go bold and go fully hydrogen powered. At least, I mean, we've seen experiments with hydrogen powering the uh, extreme E side of things that you've had had a little look at. why not we? Why not we just put a snappy hydrogen fuel cell into the side of these cars and away we go? That to me makes the most sense because it's the best transition to something else. Because you're not going to put nuclear reactors in cars, so that's out of the question. <laughs> you know, they can still they can still measure your usage and tax the shit out of you for it. It's not free energy, right? So we're not. We're not digging up the ground looking for cobalt and lithium to make in all these batteries. I mean, the world and 
the world is trying to say at the moment, we've had some idiot politicians in Australia come out and say, oh, we're not going to let banks finance um, new trader utes as of 2025 because of the carbon emission that those utes put out. We're going to have to force that industry to go to electric. We've got some countries in the in we got the EU saying that oh yeah everything needs to be electric by 2035 and then you've got BMW tweeting out ha 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 that is the most ridiculous thing we've ever heard the reality is we don't have enough we don't there's not the infrastructure in place to change every road vehicle from A to B in the next 15 years uh, it feels like there's an ideology taking over our our sport and our car manufacturers that is just not possible at the moment and doesn't make sense to me you know etc I know I'm ranting a bit but we've got these challenges where does F1 fit into all of that and still leading the car market down the future Look, I think you, the use of the word entertainment is an interesting one. Um, and it's a conversation I was having today about two different motorsports in, uh, rally, in the world of rallycross, world rallycross and nitro rallycross. Now, world rallycross is, has been going for ages. Uh, it sort of came out of rallycross Nordic and a whole bunch of others. Um, and not to talk too much about off-road, but this is a series that is about racing but it is struggling to find entrants and teams and support to do what it needs to do. Nitro Rallycross, however, backed by the likes of Travis Pastrana um, and the kings of content in Red Bull and and others, um, have firmly planted their flag in the ground to say this is an entertainment sport, as you say. Entertainment is the word first. So I don't know if I necessarily agree with where the sport is going, Is is to, to, to use your term, woke. Uh, I would suggest that looking at how no, everything's not, you know what I'm trying everything's to say. going. Yeah, but I think how everything's going from a uh, internal combustion point of view, this is sustainable. Is probably the better word. But it's investment in ensuring that it stays around. I think looking at it in a negative term is is almost the wrong way. And in fact, what Formula One is doing is planting its flag in the ground and saying, "Well, no, we're going to invest in technology that now allows the noise to continue." The noise hasn't been the same since the new the previous regulations came in, and that was under Bernie. Yeah. So, when, you know, I, I think we're never that, getting back to those. We're never going to go back to V10. We're never getting back to. You can be bold as as bold as seventeen thousand RPM. It's just not going to happen. No, but it needs to be cheaper to run, right? These things are all phenomenally ridiculously expensive. So, I think one of the things that the twenty twenty six regulations are trying to do with the remove the removal of MGUH uh, is that it's less expensive to build this stuff as far as i understand it so what i would suggest is the future of the sport is the sport will continue to to happen you know in the way that i look at horse racing and go i don't understand why that happens when we've got motorsport it still exists right when motors when car racing came onto the scene and everything else i'm sure plenty of people at the time went what about horse racing you know that we've got this industry that needs to be supported and all these people now that still exists so, I, you know, it's not the version that probably it used to be 100 years ago, 75 years ago, whatever. But I would suggest that because we have Melbourne Cup and Ascot here in the UK and plenty of other things, that because that was the pinnacle of racing in that space, Formula One will continue to be that going forward yeah. through into motorsport. But I would suggest yeah. that you were correct in saying that there are it's almost like a news cycle, right, of, of fans in Formula One. Where do the Drive to Survive fans go? Now, I know some of you who are listening to this podcast are Drive to Survive fans and maybe some of you are very much Daniel Ricciardo fans as a result of that. Now, we have spoken before about how hard it is to watch Formula One, even from our point of view as Daniel Rick fans in, in this year. And we you know, effectively do this for a hobby, work, whatever it might be. I talk to other F1 journalists and they struggle. You know, they get paid to do it. So yeah. there is yeah. a, I think there's an, there is a point where it becomes too much. There is too much Formula One. I think 22, 23 races is too much already. I, to be honest, uh, I'm ready for the much. end of the season now. But we, yeah. we've got five of the best tracks in the world coming up in Singapore, Suzuka, the US Grand Prix, Mexico, and Brazil. Uh, and I'm super keen for all of those tracks, but I feel like, like I'm just exhausted thinking about where we've gone beforehand. So I think, this, the future of the sport really needs to find a balance between remaining relevant, remaining exciting, having a little bit of that, as Mark Webber sort of would talk about, like that, it's just out of reach a little bit. Like it's it's really at the pinnacle. And that might be 
you know, yep. developing new car technology. We don't think we're ever going to see, you know, the way the hybrid system with Mercedes and everything was implemented or the flappy paddle gearbox with the the Ferrari F, you know, whatever it was, the 360 back in the day that had the first thing in it. Like we're not going to see that again, I don't think. But one of the things that I would say is that there is so much attention and passion and money floating around this sport right now that it's almost impossible yep. to see it going any other direction than remaining in a relevant space. So let's just hope, Campy, that those 2026 regulations actually do what they say on the tin and encourage other manufacturers to join so we've got this next phase of Formula One. Yeah, in my mind, I just struggle to see where Formula One goes and retains relevancy um, just with the technology that we're doing because it's There's a fine balance between, and we've got to stay positive about it too. I'm, I'm not a doom and gloom here, preaching fire and brimstone about it. Sport, don't want it to burn because I'll always be a fan. But it's, yeah, it's 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 frustrating. The, the the parts of the sport that are frustrating to me are the parts that I feel like they're getting wrong, and that's in the entertainment spot. It's about what I want to see on a Saturday and what I want to see on a Sunday in qualifying and, and racing, and I'm just not sure that technology is going to take us to those those places where it needs to be with the change that's happening. I think the change is either too slow and they're reacting to everything around it than getting in front of it and trying to than trying to than trying to change. I mean look at look at IndyCar. That they will stay the same forever. Look at NASCAR. That ain't changing. Yeah, technology changes, sport changes, but the core of what the sport is, you know, is the core of what the sport is and they know that they can't go electric because it just ain't going to work for them. Formula One's in a different space to them as well, being global. And but I, I, I just struggle to see where the sport's going, and I don't really have any have any vision for it because I don't see that from our Formula One. But I think them? I think you're probably looking at it the wrong the God way. Like Council of Formula it's One. It's not. It could be. It's not. It's not developing technology for road cars anymore. It doesn't need to. No. You know, that's already done its thing. I think what it is, as I said yep. at the beginning there, it's it's entertainment. And I think with the with Liberty Media being an American organization, looking at Vegas as a race, looking at Miami as a race, regardless of how bloody expensive those tickets are, that is a massive departure from what we've seen in previous generations of yep. this sport. And don't forget, you know, you look back in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, how cars were then the different amounts of technology that have come through, you know, we accelerated so quickly in that early thousands going into just after Seb Vettel's um, dominance into the turbo hybrid era in terms of technology and sport. So I think the relevance is it's entertainment and, and we need to service all of, or Formula One as a whole and, and its community, including us needs to service all markets. It's one of the reasons why we do this podcast um, to remain relevant worldwide. But look, I think the only thing that we can say is time will tell. As you say, it's it's easy to get like confused about it and, and everything else. But um, yeah, yeah. It, it's certainly going to be one of those things that if we don't have regeneration in Andretti coming in and in VW groups in, in Audi and Porsche, we see the same thing week in, week out, Haas and Williams at the back of the grid, Mercedes, Ferrari, Rebel at the front of the grid. How interesting is that? From an Australian fan point, watching that at 2 o'clock in the morning or 11 o'clock at night, having a red flag, you know, all of that sort of other stuff, it is a huge commitment. It is not lost on us at all that it is a huge commitment to be a Formula 1 fan down that part of the world in New Zealand as well. So, yeah, yeah, can can only agree with it. Now, I was going to say Max Verstappen well, before, Max before Verstappen. we went into that. Yeah. Now, he in Singapore is pretty likely, to be honest, Campy, to win the World Drivers' Championship, even though I've been saying it in the introduction for everything. Now, there's two ways that he can do that. So he will become a champion in Singapore if he wins and secures the fastest lap with Charles Leclerc finishing eighth and lower and – sorry, eighth or lower and Perez finishing fourth or lower. And the second way is that he becomes champion in Singapore if he wins and doesn't secure a fastest lap with – Leclerc finishing ninth or lower regardless of fastest lap and Perez finishing fourth or lower without the fastest lap or fifth or lower with the fastest lap. Now, basically, all that to say, if he dominates, which is very likely that he does, so long as Checo isn't on that podium with him uh, and Charles is further back down the grid, 
then we obviously know about Ferrari's strategy. It's likely. So it's not even a will he win it, it's when will he win it. It's a foregone conclusion, right? I mean, we were talking about this could be a really, really good (laughs) world championship after the break. (laughs) Max has come out and just dominated. We've just had a triple header. Um, Yeah, look, gold credit to Max. I'm still enjoying – we had this conversation. I'm still enjoying him doing what he's doing at the moment. I'm very, very – yeah, it's a pleasure to watch. Um, I've never seen anyone drive a car so quickly. Even in Melbourne this year, I just thought, geez, that Red Bull was something else and just – it's just a step. It's in its own category. Um, Anyway – Good on Max. He'll win. He'll win this place. Red Bull can ditch as much downforce as they want, and then strap us a hell of a lot more back on. These newy cars are just so versatile, and they are the best car at every track and under every condition. So Max will get the job done. And whether he wraps it up this week or he does it in Japan, it just means we've got what five or six races on the way home that are going to be. What do we watch for? What are the other storylines? You would hope Ferrari's going to get it together, but. <coughs> Percentages says they won't. You know, we're looking farewelling Daniel Ricciardo and Vettel for the last few races. Who knows? Oh, yes, definitely Seb. Danny Rick's a different, you know, different option. Although it sounds like he's had some talks with, to be a reserve drive for Mercedes. Um, you know what I've got a bit of a feel about? Got a bit of a feel about Danny Rick as we're in a bit of a Jensen Button moment, 2009. No drive, out of the sport. Something comes up last minute. Jumps into that 2009 Braun, wins a world championship. I've got a bit of that feeling with uh, with Danny Rick at the moment. I'm not too sure where it goes, but... I love it. Hamilton, Hamilton, all all he's got to do is break a tib and a fib and he's out for, you know, six months and... (laughs) Tip and a fib, then Daddy Rick's got to drive in the top car. Who knows? But, um. Oh well, look. I think that is a that is a brilliant tibular, way to tibular. end. Sorry, mate. No, I like the tip and fib. I think that's a brilliant way to end not only your careful yeah. considerations but also our time in the corner for this week. Uh, Campy, thank you Answer for questions allowing me. Discord too, yet please. Again. Yes, uh, one of the things I would say is, uh, well, for the for our Monday episode that we record, Tuesday release, we're doing a, a team radio question. So please make sure you jump over to our Discord to, to send some over. But if you've got some suggestions in Campy's Corner, what you'd like to hear Campy rant about, please let us know. You can do that in the Discord. We can send us an email, all of the contact information on the website, which is all in the links in the description below. Yeah. Campy, massive thank you to you, my friend. We'll see Bro, you next week for you. a non-race episode before we head to Singapore for the Grand Prix in our part of the world. Beautiful. Looking forward to uh, a normal time to watch TV too. But what, five o'clock in the afternoon? Perfect. Look, in again, out again, in again, out again. In again, out again, in again, out again. In again, out again, in again, out again. Podcast Network.